You know what I think I miss most about my 20s? Like when I think about it, especially like my early to mid 20s, it was the ability to get like super excited about things. You know what I mean? Like I remember because it was like years before the movie actually happened being like, oh, my God, I wonder who's going to get cast in the real life Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> and it might have been the product of my environment and who I was hanging out with because it was Disney cast members at the time. But, like, I often miss that excitement because I'm just filled, filled, filled with the purest, darkest, bottomless cynicism when I think about, like, most media particularly the Disney company, like what kind of adult can sit down unless doing so ironically or unless doing so to like review it and watch that new Pinocchio movie. And I don't mean to insult any of you, but who saw that trailer and was like, God, two hours of my time needs to go to watching that. That movie looks like one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> I've never seen something so heinous with my eyes. Happy that Cynthia Revo is getting work. Ooh, my voice sounds dry. But my God, like, collect your paycheck, everybody, because that's all anybody involved did. Did Zemeckis say... Did Zemeckis say, I have this vision of making a live-action Pinocchio that takes all of the meaning out of Pinocchio and has CGI from 2003? <laughs> and who is it? For? I guess it's for children. I forget that children exist and a lot of media is made for them. Remember when the Disney parks weren't, like, totally catered to children? Remember when Alien Encounter would, like, fuck up your entire vacation? <laughs> oh, those were... You remember when, like, a gangster would jump onto your ride video, ride vehicle and shoot people? Or a cowboy would blow people up? Remember when murder happened live on a Disney ride? It's all so boring now. I would have been okay with Mickey's Runaway Railroad if Goofy would have gotten violently run over in the first three minutes. <laughs> That's a stupid joke. I haven't even ridden that damn ride. When does the cynicism stop? When do things start getting better? And it goes to Broadway, too. Or it's just... Like... Seven years ago... The Josh Groban Sweeney Todd announcement would have sent me a Twitter. Seven years ago, the idea that a musical like Limpica would have made me lose my mind. And I guess I am, in a sense, still very excited about these things, but just nowhere near the level I was excited for anything in my 20s. And I miss that. I see some of your optimism. And I go, wow, you guys got excited for Disney announcing nothing at D23 for the parks. You guys bought the nothing. And I don't say that to insult. 
I say that because I'm jealous. Because I would love to buy the nothing. And even like I went to the first Broadway performance back of the pandemic. Uh, well, not Springsteen, but I went to Passover. Like it's first night. And I got tickets for like $30 the day before. And it just filled me with such cynicism. The first show back on Broadway in almost two years. Written and starring incredible people of color. And they can't even fill up the first night of performances. And honestly, I got to put a little bit of blame on Jordan Roth. A lot of bit of blame on Jordan Roth because the show was not advertised or promoted. It should have been brought, carried in like 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 Cleopatra on a chariot for reopening Broadway. And instead, everybody kind of forgot that it happened while it was happening, and it really pissed me off. And then I went even went I went to the Hades Town reopening night, thinking I was going to feel what I felt pre-pandemic. And I didn't. I wept a little bit, but I only cried because I wasn't crying where I used to cry in Hadestown. Something, I turned 30 in 2021, uh, January 2021. So there is this this divide where my, my 20s were one thing and then pandemic. So I'm not completely blaming this on turning 30. But wow. I miss being truly excited. It's also hard to get excited about Broadway when you know your money is going to some pretty despicable people at times. I don't know how many of you guys realize this, but at least one Trump voting Republican... I would even wager at least one person who gave to the Trump campaign gave money to just about every Broadway show or is one of the lead producers of said Broadway show. It's like something we don't talk about. Another one of Broadway's dark secrets. Like Moulin Rouge does not have a good script, does not have... It's, it's like if you strip past the spectacle... It's not a good show. You can't do Moulin Rouge in a black box the way you can do a good musical in a black box. It can't be interpreted that way. Or at least Finer Minds Than Me would have to do it. But maybe I would be able to enjoy the idea of paying a little bit of money, like a lot of bit of money, 200 plus dollars of hypothetical money, because I don't even have 200 But 200 plus dollars of hypothetical money and going and enjoying it just for the spectacle. But when I did have money and I did see it, even the spectacle felt hollow because I knew some of that exorbitant ticket price was going to go to somebody who was trying to make sure Donald Trump was going to be president for four more years. And that's why it really like pissed me off when people were talking shit about Karen Olivo. Because Karen... I mean, she, she quit the industry once and came back. Uh, Karen basically threw the middle finger up and was like, I'm not working for a fucking Broadway. I don't, I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing. I'm doing it in Jonathan talk, but I'm not going to work for a fucking Broadway that lines the pockets of these terrible motherfuckers. 
and she got shit for that. She got shit over on Broadway World for that because Broadway World are neoliberals typically, and neoliberals are basically conservative light. Like if if conservatives are Catholic, neoliberals in my mind are Episcopalian. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that you're not allowed to say a discerning opinion about Leah Michelle on Broadway World, or even post an article to the Scott Rudin scandal? But all of these like crazy veiled acts of racism are allowed to go on on Broadway World. Hourly? There used to be this motherfucker. What was his name? I'm going to pause it and look it up. Dave, right? And Dave would get on Broadway World and do things like, you can't have a black Glenda because black people don't pursue the, like, don't, like, exude the image of wealth like white people do. They don't exude the image of wealth and popularity like white people do. And Broadway World would let that shit remain up and his other, like, racist diatribes about how black people couldn't be in Les Mis and the Phantom of the Opera and so on and so on and so on. But God forbid we say Leah Michelle maybe shouldn't have been allowed this chance. God forbid we say, hey, I don't like this Scott Rudin's punching people's hands through computers. So when the Karen Olivo thing happened, I just saw it as Broadway World's, like, not-so-veiled-anymore racism from its posters coming out because it was just these series of, of, like, what happened to the show must go on? Who cares who funds it? That's completely unprofessional. Bye, girl. It was not our sparkling diamond. It was a bunch of that shit when she decided to quit because she did not want to work for people. As a woman of color, she didn't want to work for fucking Republicans. She didn't want to work to make Republicans money. And all of these people, most of whom would say they voted for Biden, but not as many as you think, all of these people couldn't understand that. You know, recently, too, on Broadway World, uh, Crystal, I can't, I can't remember the right, she's in 1776, uh, playing John Adams, and she's only going to do like a couple of weeks after opening night uh, because she is moving on to a play that she did off-Broadway that's transferring to Broadway. And I saw all these comments calling her like unprofessional and saying that like she shouldn't be worked with because of this and all. Number one, I've, I've said before that actors get paid a lot. And I should have said, not roundabout actors. Roundabout actors are sometimes making below equity minimum because it's a nonprofit. She could have been making as little as $800 a week in 1776. I'm not saying it was $800 a week. It was probably more. But she's certainly going to make more money, and her career will certainly take a bigger jump going into this critically acclaimed play ain't no more. Broadway World can't understand that. Broadway World uh, just wants to attack. And those posts are continually left up. Um, another one. So the trailer for the new Little Mermaid post and the full clip of our new Ariel singing Part of Your World 
and of course there were people on Broadway World being like, she's riffing too much. That, and there were like these, in their mind, college-level dissertation posts about how her optioning up ruined the entire purpose and emotion of the song. Her riffing ruined the entire meaning of the song. That's just racism. That's just saying, I don't like the way the black girl sings. That's saying, I think it sounds too black. That's disgustingly racist. And those posts are still up. But go try to say that Leah Michelle shouldn't be given a second chance. Or go try to talk about one of my videos. It'll be down in 32 seconds. I continue to say it on here and I will continue over and over again until my breath runs out. Broadway protects its abusers. Micro and macro. Theater in general does. That's something that has to be learned. Because if you don't learn that, you could find yourself in some very terrible situations that these people will not lift a finger to stop. It's sad. I miss being like 2000. I sound like I'm about to cry. I'm not, I'm not about to cry. I miss like 2003 where I was 13 and Wick, that, that's the year that Wicked and Avenue Q came out, right? And I went to go see a non-equity tour of Jesus Christ Superstar where Ted Neely in his 70s or late 60s was still playing Jesus even though he looked a little bit more like white Gandhi. And I remember thinking, wow, these are all like the best people in the world looking at the ensemble. And I remember falling in love with Avenue Q and Wicked and thinking, wow, these are just the best people in the world. Only good people with good values perform on Broadway. There's no way that racist and people who think that women should not have bodily autonomy and people who do not think healthcare is a right. There's no way these people are populating Broadway. And then I found out that they're funding it. And it just kind of put a damper on the entire thing. I miss the excitement that the people who did theater were good people. I miss that optimism inside of me. And there are a lot of good people in theater but I can't truthfully say that an industry is a good industry when from community theater to Broadway producing offices, people are getting abused. That abused abuse is coming out. And then nothing is done once that abuse comes out other than the theater community kind of circling in for protection to protect them and building a wall around the abuser. I feel like I sound like a broken record, but I'm never going to be able to get over this. You know, I did this community theater production of Susical, the musical. And in like 2010, 2011, I was 19. I was 19. I played the cat in the hat. 
And most of the cast were children. And there was like me and a couple of other like adult real actors populating some of the bigger roles. And it was directed by it was directed by two people, a, a, a woman and a man. And I remember thinking they were just the best people in the world and like the best friends a person could have. And theater people are just great and it's safe to talk about things and it's safe to be yourself around these people. And I later found out that that guy, the male director, was soliciting sexual content from young, 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 young boys. And I was given proof of this and found proof of it on my own through my own interactions with him through the years. And this motherfucker works for a school district in Florence, South Carolina. He didn't for a little bit, but now I heard he's back. I hope that's not true. Not as like a teacher or anything. It's like a teacher's aide or something. And I contacted... I contacted the... the, What what do you call the big mama? Oh, the superintendent, right? And gave him all of this proof gave him the names of all the victims and their families who were willing to come out and talk to him. And he forwarded my email to the sheriff and the sheriff was like, and what do you want me to do about it? And the superintendent was like, I'm not going to do anything about it. I guess that's not really theater. At least like the part about the school. But this guy was certainly using the theater to find his victims. Oh, and I forgot. Once the people who run this theater, the Florence Little Theater, were given the proof and talked to the victims who they knew, they cast this motherfucker in a production of Murder on the Orient Express, a production that had an underage boy in it, and they didn't do anything about it until... I went to the press, which I've felt is a reoccurring theme. They're not going to do anything about it until you go to the press. And that is, is maybe like a bombastic way of doing it. But I'm sick of having th- meetings with theater board members and, and artistic directors and, and telling them these awful things that are going on and having them brush it off. I've talked about this before, but I was in a production of the Rocky Horror Show at Trustus Theater in Columbia, South Carolina. In 2016, I played Eddie. And they're doing that show again right now. And it boils my blood because it's starring most of the same people that were in this production, right? This production I was in. So right off the bat, the director, his name is Scott Blanks, starts telling us that he has like, like the artistic director asked if he wanted an intimacy coordinator to come in. And Scott was like, we're not going to do that because it just wouldn't be real. So I want you to lick, fuck, touch, grab or tit, any make out, show stuff some tongue in their mouths. I just want you to do it anytime you feel motivated, cause that's the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> that was strike one for this motherfucker, because all intimacy on stage should be choreographed. This guy fought for any 
choreography, for any planning, for any talk, for any safety. This guy said, no, fuck that. Strike number, it should have been all three strikes, right? But I had to make some fucking money. I had to continue in this show, at least in my mind at the time. So production goes on, and I'm part of the story is not mine to tell, and I'm, and I'm not sure the people who are involved would like for me to tell it, but something pretty vile went on, right? And so uh, I urged my friend who this thing happened to to go meet with the artistic director, this motherfucker named Chad Henderson. And Chad Henderson, by the way, had already gotten on my shit list because he had never even introduced himself to me, but he was taking people up to, like, his office to smoke weed, people in the cast uh, to smoke weed in order to tell them that, like, my resume was a lie, that I hadn't worked at sleep no more. Motherfucker, some of us got out of our small South Carolina community theaters and actually made something with ourselves and actually did something interesting with our lives, something that you'll never understand. You'll never understand it, Chad Henderson. Anyway, when this person went to Chad and gave these very substantial claims about the director, also telling Chad that the director was going around backstage and just grabbing his male actor's genitalia and upper thigh and butt whenever he pleased, because it's the Rocky Horror Show. When this was all told to the artistic director, Chad Henderson, Chad Henderson said, this is your first professional show, isn't it, to my friend? Strike number two. Strike number three is at the cast party for the Rocky Horror Show. This theater has an open bar, right? The people of Trustus Theater were allowing an 18-year-old, very obviously immature kid to buy drink after drink after drink after drink until he was falling down drunk, something that's illegal for people with a bar license, which they have. They were going to let that motherfucker drive home that kid after he had drunk himself under a table. Me and a friend took his keys. And they allowed that to happen. And then, Chad Henderson, who had gotten complaints about borderline sexual, it is sexual assault, about sexual assault going on during this production, walked into a circle of people that included me, and the person who complained to him initially and pulled out his entire penis and said penis puppetry and started to twist his penis into shapes. This motherfucker is my boss, right? Right? But in their mind, that's just theater people. That's just how theater people act. It's the same mentality when gay men think they can, like, grab women's boobs or butt without permission, without getting consent. It's the same mentality theater people have about shit like that. And it's absolutely revolting. So I, and so I pretty quickly start, like, talking about this. And Chad starts telling people in the cast that he, I think... So people in the cast keep taking me aside and they're like, Chad's going to be playing Eddie. Chad's going to, you're going to get fired if you don't stop. And, and in my mind, stop what? Advocating for sexual assault to not happen by the director, Scott Blanks, and the artistic director, Chad Henderson? No, I don't think I will. And I'd love to see them do that. 
So the show ends, and I start loudly talking about this to anybody who will listen. I go to the board. The victims go to the board of the theater, every board member. We go to their sponsors. We go to every staff member. Nothing is done. We are sent condescending messages. Nothing happened until years later I went to the press. And right after I went to the press, no article ever came out. But right after I went to the press, I assume they went to trust us. They, the press. And Chad just up and left, just was gone. This person who had worked in this theater for was the face of this theater, was just gone. They said he took a job with the South Carolina Symphony Orchestra, I believe. I need to look that up. He took a job with another artistic organization, which is disgusting. But yeah, nothing is going to happen until you go to the press about these horrible people in your own theater communities and people that you have been victim to. And I know a lot of people aren't ready to do that. I think that I'm a pretty, like, I'll, I'll shoot from the hip. And when I was talking to the reporter, I was pacing around and shaking on the phone because it's, like, scary and we, you feel like you're doing something wrong when you do that, when you go to the press. I'm here to tell you that you're not doing something wrong. You're doing the right thing, particularly if you've already tried to go through the proper, proper in air quotes, channel to get this issue resolved. Theater is not going to solve it internally. You got to go external, which is why theater did everything in its power to stop the Me Too article that was supposed to come out in November of 2017 that named multiple Tony Award-winning directors, set designers, choreographers, costumers, William Ivy Long, and people in the Broadway community pulled so much weight somehow that they got this article stopped. Harvey Weinstein could not get the article about him stopped. And you would think he would have more clout weight to throw around than the fucking Broadway community. But no. No. Broadway stopped it. And Broadway stopped it because they knew that once it left the internal and went out to the press, it was all going to be over for those people and Broadway didn't want it to be over for those people because they're their friends that's my friend she's just being a little naughty that's my friend what do the people do the people a little naughty do the people a little bad we like to sing a little song and be bad we like to just do whatever we want we have a little family what do you want to can I touch your boob I'm a sneaker person I want to squeeze her butt. I'm a theater person. I ain't real loud, too. When people say they hate theater people, I just say, good. Someone raised you right. <laughs> when people say they hate me, I say, that's good. Someone, someone raised you right. Oh, boy. So how about this Broadway season, huh? <laughs> uh, 
The only thing I'm really excited about is Sesame Street, the musical, and I'm not even being facetious. It's the only thing that I can make my, my, my little bottomless cynicism heart. It, 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 I, I start seeing the waters rise in my bottomless cynicism heart when I think about Sesame Street, the musical. Don't know how I'm going to make that happen, but Sesame Street, the musical, if you want to fly me out and cop me to go see Sesame Street, the musical, I will give it a good review even if it's not good. I don't have any integrity. I don't have any journalistic integrity. Any producer, if you want a good review for your show, within reason, you could, you, you'd, have to put, you'd have to give me Elton John money to write a good review of Devil Wars Prada. You'd have to give me <laughs> Queen Elizabeth money to get me to write a good review or say a good thing about Almost Famous the Musical. There are exceptions, but within reason, if you caught me into your show, I have no integrity. I will, I will publicly shout to anyone who listens to me that it's the best show in all the land. And I'm kind of kidding. Like, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not. I really want to see Sesame Street the Musical. I don't know if I'm sure that he'll never hear this, but like, I just want to like sit Jordan Roth down and go, Hey, you've hit something called lightning in a bottle with into the woods. Do not close it for an unproven musical with a trunk score by Kander Neb. Uh, I hope it's like all that jazz. <laughs> I just can't imagine Lynn's voice in there. <laughs> I can't imagine Lynn's voice helping with Kander and Neb songs, but Whatever. Uh, do do not close your lightning in a bottle baby for an unproven, untested show. Make New York, New York wait a season until you have another theater available. Don't be crazy, Jordan. You have struck lightning in a bottle. I can name two dozen sets of names of people that you should cast and could cast as the baker and baker's wife who would make theater kids go feral. Same with the witch. You know that. I know that. Jordan, even if you move it, even if you move it right now, and eventually if you open-ended it, it would have to move. So I guess maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that should be the move. But Jordan, you got to keep this show running. You can't close it. You can't close it for New York. New York, Jordan. I'm sure everybody's excited to see Jeremy Jordan dance. Just a little side rant. How, Jeremy Jordan's got a, a pretty good voice, but how can you guys like get super excited for people like Jeremy Jordan and and like Aaron Tveit? Especially, I guess I'm mostly talking about Aaron Tveit, not Jeremy Jordan. Wonder Bread, Wonder Bread. Anyway, where was I? Oh my God, what's wrong with me? What a little diatribe! Don't kill your magic bean show for Jeremy Jordan tap dancing. We all love Jeremy Jordan tap dancing. Because he's not Aaron Tveit. <laughs> kidding. We all love Jeremy Jordan tap dancing. But not at the expense of Into the Woods. <laughs> and, I, and I strongly think you will cosmically curse your show if you close this incredible and incredibly well-selling and Jordan, we both. Jordan, is it a good idea to make your show that costs next to no money to run and that is making $2 million a week 
clothes for a big old risk. You will cosmically curse it, Jordan. Sondheim's ghost will make will become your phantom of the opera. I strongly believe it, Jordan. Make the magic beans grow forever. Jordan. I might cut that. I sound absolutely psychotic. Also, uh, if anybody has any uh, casting rumors for New York, New York, I would absolutely love them. I'm pretty sure Jeremy Jordan's going to be the male lead. Uh, send those blinds. You will remain 100% anonymous, as always. Send that email to Juicy Theater, theater with an R-E. T-H-E-A. Oh, God, I can't spell theater. I can't just spell theater without typing it. Theater with an R-E. Juicy Theater T at gmail.com. You guys are just going to slowly learn that I'm like dumb as a brick and that you have been supporting the dumbest person in the world. I just had to spell theater out loud and I could not do it. I could not do it right now. I couldn't do it if there was a gun to my head. I would say thank you for giving me the opportunity to leave this wretched plane and let him pull the trigger. <laughs> Not really. I would, I would at least try, but I'd fail. You're quickly learning I'm dumb as a brick. It's also kind of funny to me how many people are, like, counting out K-pop completely, uh, who just think that the circle in the square is going to be open again two months after K-pop opens. K-pop is god-tier theater, you guys. It is... It is, at least it was in its original form. None of us have seen this version yet. It is God-tier theater. K-pop has legs, and K-pop is probably your dark horse winner for best musical, in my opinion. It's so silly, because Broadway is mostly, again, white neoliberal people, at least the people who have the most money and who spend the most money on Broadway. And they completely cannot consider that a show starring starring. Asian people are a show starring black people are, 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 you know, you can go on and on and ever on has any legs of succeeding, but they're going to love to go see it and give it a standing ovation to pat themselves on the back for being, for being good little good because they voted for Joe. And like, yeah, if you vote, you should have voted for Joe, but you know what I mean? You know, the type of people that I'm talking about and all of those people are on the message boards saying that K-pop is not going to succeed. I'm going to laugh in your face in a few months, and then I'm going to laugh in your face in two years when K-pop has basically become the permanent resident of Circle in the Square, which quickly brings me to, uh, we need another flex space on Broadway so, so, so badly. We need another space like Circle in the Square so badly on Broadway. Just having one black box type configuration on Broadway limits the type of shows that can come in because every season there are multiple shows competing for Circle in the Square because they know that their show will only work in Circle in the Square. And all of those shows, you know, only one of them gets to come every season and a lot of those fizzle off and, and, and disappear because of that. At least a percentage of them do. We, we, the fact that we have one black box on Broadway is astounding and ugly. It is ugly. If I had to assign a sound to it, it would be Roseanne Barr singing the national anthem at that baseball game, which, mad respect, I don't respect America too, Roseanne, but it didn't sound good.
but mad respect for doing it. Who knows where, where Cinderella is going, but it's definitely coming. Oh, can I just quickly say something? Of course I can quickly say something. I can say whatever I want for as long as I want. It's really disgusting to me that I knew, and this is not some kind of flex or humble brag or anything. This is something that genuinely upsets me. It's crazy to me that I knew Frozen was going to close and I knew Music Man was going to close before the cast members were told. What kind of Mickey Mouse ass producing literally is that? That you let us fucking vultures find out leaks before you tell your fucking cast members. It's utterly fucking disgusting. You should be ashamed. And we all allege, you know, I highly theorize that Scott Rudin is still the puppet master over at Music Man. You know, they, they slyly didn't mention if Scott was going to continue to make money from the stuff he developed. Because he probably was. Because it is such a Scott Rudin-like move to not tell your cast before the press release goes out on Playbill.com. I w maybe this is why I'm not a professional actor. I certainly would not be going on stage for those producers. But that's all a hypothetical bullshit. Of course I would be going on stage. I gotta eat. I'm hungry. I will do anything on stage for money. Total depravity, which is what the music man on stage is to me. Total and utter depravity. At least this revival. Swinging back to Carousel, then we're going to close it out. It actually, then we're going to close it out. I sound like a drunk. I don't drink. Um, <laughs> it makes me really happy that, like, uh, I think the West Side Story revival would have been successful in 2020. Oklahoma was successful. It's on a successful tour. Got good reviews. I'm happy that more experimental revivals that actually try to do something where the creative team is actually creative. I'm happy that those revivals more and more are being exalted while copy-paste, paint-by-number bullshit like Hack O'Brien's Carousel revival in 2018. The worst thing I've ever seen with my blue, blue eyes. And The Music Man, which was just... <laughs> That's what Music Man was. Like it wasn't god-awful atrocious, except for Sutton Foster. Isn't it funny how we can change the key so Sutton Foster, an almost 50-year-old woman, I think she is 50, so, so that Sutton Foster can play an 18-year-old? We can change keys for her, but, but God forbid when we start talking about changing keys for trans or non-binary performers, composers lose their fucking mind. And I'm aware Meredith Wilson is not around to, like, lose his mind either way but like i'm gonna assume that his estate would have acted differently if a trans person wanted to all even audition for these roles and i would assume the rogers and hammerstein is well, actually no rogers and hammerstein is allowing trans binary performers allowing it's it's sick that i have to say allowing but it is something that they have to allow. Here's a juicy bit of gossip to end this podcast with. Remember when Eddie Izzard and Laurie Metcalf were announced for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Incredible casting. But you go back on that cast release and you notice that it does not say who's playing Martha and who's playing George. Because the rumor that I think is very credible is that they were going to switch who plays who throughout the week. And then... The Edward Albee estate would not allow a trans performer 
in their show. And before the trans performer was going to play the part, allegedly the rumor is they wanted Denzel Washington and the Edward Albee estate said a black man could not play that role. So it is sick that I have to say that these estates and composers have to allow trans and non-binary people to be in their shows. It is absolutely revolting. But seeing uh, trans and non-binary performers in both uh, music, music man, Jesus, in Oklahoma on tour, Daniel Fish, incredible, and in Daniel Fish's, which is coming to Broadway, Most Happy Fella. It, it is center, a central construct of the show is, is, is that it stars trans and non-binary performers. And this is not in a hokey gimmick way. This is in a beautiful, organic way. And it is absolutely incredible that that work is starting to be done. It's sad that I have to say that it's just starting because it really, really gets under my skin when Andrew Lloyd Webber goes, I would let a trans person in my show if they could sing it. <laughs> Which is a way of saying, no, I'm not changing the keys. I'm not going to even try to accommodate for them so that there's no chance of them performing in my shows. I don't even know how I got here. Where did we start this? Okay, I'm going to call it, you guys. Uh, this was a ranty one. I hope you guys had as much fun at I, as I did. This is uh, Jonathan, the sweaty oracle, signing off, me babies.